0: Our speaker today is Blake Baca. Blake is the owner of BDB Solutions. Blake spent the first 20 years of his career at Alcoa. He is an asset manager with over 33 years of experience and a certified maintenance and reliability professional. Additionally, Blake is a Texas Tech alumni with a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering. This is not Blake's first time speaking with us. We're thrilled to have him back again. All right, you are here for practical creation and use of planned maintenance schedule. Blake, take it away.
1: Okay, um, glad to see everybody here. Uh, I think you uh, you know, saw a little bit, or, or uh, Robin told you a little bit about my uh, background, so really won't go through that. I'm a business partner, I'm the owner of BDB Solutions, but a business partner of uh, Fluke uh, Reliability. So I'll get right into it. So why are we here? Um, really want to provide you the ability to create um, or at least see how to create a planned weekly maintenance schedule for operations and maintenance uh, to review. Um, basically, what the idea is is that we've created something that's that's visual that allows uh, all individuals so they can see what's going on uh, with maintenance on a, a daily basis. Um, We'll talk a little bit about how we use that schedule for urgent and immediate break-in work uh, in conjunction. How exactly does that schedule work? And then I'll give you that example uh, of a planned weekly maintenance schedule and sheets for assigning work order maintenance technicians. Because the main thing at the end of the day is we want to get these we want to get these work orders to the technicians such that they can execute the work. That's that's where we're trying to get to. And so, how do we practically do that uh, in, in what we're doing? So to start out, give a little background in that and getting to that point, we'll just talk a little bit about uh, asset management. And I think most of us know what uh, asset management, there is an ISO standard for asset management. It's ISO 55,000. Basically, it's how are we managing our assets from the time we we design them, uh, we purchase them, uh, we operate them, we maintain them, and then how do we retire those assets? And that's pretty much uh, when you talk about asset management, there's some things behind that. One of the types of things, one of the big things, uh, is that you gotta have an operations and maintenance partnership. Typically we get into uh, who's the customer. I tend not to use the word customer because it typically implies subservience. So a lot of times in situations, we want a partnership agreement so that operations and maintenance can hold each other accountable, uh, work on common goals, uh, when we're talking about asset management, it's not just for maintenance. It's participation by all employees, uh, not just operations and maintenance, because we have other people that request things uh, for maintenance. Like I said before, many times we're talking about the customer. Uh, many times I go to places or I've worked in places where uh, maintenance people say, well, operations is my customer. Well, it's, it's more about uh, I'm your partner. And, you know, it's this kind of thing when you say customer, in my opinion, uh, implies subservience, like the customer's always right. The other big one is who owns the assets, right? Who makes the decisions on how the assets are, are managed? Once we get into that, we, we see work management. We go to to a lot of seminars, read about things about work management. Many times you'll see that these things are guidelines. This is not intended to be a guideline. I never use it as a guideline. Uh, it is actually how we ex- plan, how we identify, plan, schedule, execute, and complete the work. Uh, with well-defined roles and responsibilities. Of course, we got to use a CMMS, and probably you guys, most of you on here, may be using eMaint. If you're not, uh, that's fine. I, I work in so many different ones. I, I typically tend not to get into the middle of them because uh, it's more for me around building, using the the system as a tool, and utilizing leading practices to uh, to use work management. Again, we're looking at some requirements. We got to talk about how do we how do we design equipment? How, like I said before, how do we uh, buy it? How do we operate it? And how do we maintain it? And how do we retire it at the end? So that's a total cost and looking at the total life cycle of that. We got to understand that what's the business case for doing this, right? And, and is there a burning platform? Is there something we need to be doing uh, and continuously uh, improve? One of the big things inside of asset management that we got to look at too is how are we using our reliability engineers? Do we have reliability engineers? And are we using the appropriate methodologies? Not all methodologies work for everything. Uh, there is a, a system that you can use, but we got to make sure that we're using the right methodology. And for absolute sure that we have a reliability engineer a, with a focus on eliminating failures or substantially postponing failures. Uh, what we find is that we start out with a guy's reliability engineering, and sooner or later, he's designing equipment, speccing out equipment, buying things, and he becomes a, a multi-use uh, engineer. The focus on this and requirements for reliability excellence is that your reliability engineers are focused on reliability and the elimination of failures. Because reliability is about eliminating defects that result in failures and therefore um, and, and reducing Um, that you don't want to have low availability. We're trying to improve our availability and lower our costs. So if we can eliminate these defects, um, if we can't eliminate them, then we got to figure out, well, how do we plan and schedule the correctives? How do we do things such that we're proactive and we're efficient in how we're doing things and reducing the cost and improving the availability of our equipment? So if we have some downtime uh, and we have opportunity, we want to take that piece of equipment down, we want to be efficient uh, in how we execute the maintenance work. Why are we doing that? Why are we talking about this? Why are we all here? Well, typically we wanna improve reliability. What does that mean? When we push, every time we wanna push the button, it runs. Every time I wanna start it up, it runs. It's reliable. Uh, What's availability? I push the button and it runs as long as I tell it to run until I tell it to stop. So we want to have higher availability. And last, but definitely not least, we're in this business to make money So we're trying to drive our cost per unit down it could be barrels it could be ounces it could be pounds tons whatever we're trying to drive that down that's why we have uh, asset management so the way i typically look at it is that we have uh, we take a three-pronged approach um, to reliability Uh, we have your work management processes that we talked about we talked about asset we have asset strategies Uh, how do we operate maintain uh, the equipment and again we got we got to take care of our bad actors we got to take care of defect and we got to use defect elimination to do that what are the things that are repetitive and costly and make an impact to cash flow uh, these are the three-pronged approach to this first thing i'm going to talk about a little bit in the, our background is the asset strategies so a question to ask yourself in the philosophy is do you have asset strategies uh, these would be your pms your condition-based work your run to failure Your no scheduled maintenance and and run to failure is not i don't have an asset strategy so it i just run it to failure that's actually been an analysis that says i don't really have a way to prevent or or substantially postpone these failures so i have to have a strategy that says i have a quick change or i have parts in the warehouse or i have something like that Uh, we use no scheduled maintenance because some people say hey run to failure is a a, a, is negative words and we want to be positive about it so we say no scheduled maintenance how are they created uh, a lot of times they're created by OEM recommendations, but again, I caution people on that because once the OEM sends you sells you a, a piece of equipment, and I may step on some toes with this, how do they make their money? Parts and service, okay? So if you buy a piece of equipment that has 100% availability, uh, how are they gonna make their money? But then again, we do have some things that we need to take OEM recommendations. So it's not completely off the table. Uh, we wanna look at what failures that occurred. What are the failure modes that occurred? Uh, we put pest practices. Did someone request them? Um, just because someone re- says, I go to a lot of places where people say, Hey, we need a PM for this. Well, Based on what failure mode? What, why is it failing? Right? I've been in places where we were, we were doing inspections on fenders of vehicles because the, ve- the vehicles were uh, had, you know, they were crunched. And the issue was our, we were inspecting the welds in these vehicles. Well, that's not the root cause. I mean, we need to do something around operation. So the best thing to do, if you can do it, it's very time consuming, uh, but it gets you the best bang for the buck is through reliability centered maintenance. And we'll talk about that a little bit. A lot of times because you say, hey, I, I have a facility, I have PMs that have already been created and we're using them. Well, let's optimize those PMs. So do they, Do they? they? do these PMs actually, prevent like they're supposed to or substantially postpone a failure so we want to go through and take a look at at those as well and then if we don't have we don't have a a pm or some sort of asset strategy well then we want to go through rcm to do that okay the next piece uh, to talk about a little bit is the bad actors so the bad actors are what are the what are the repetitive or costly failures that make a substantial impact to cash flow meaning these things take our equipment down and we can't make production and we're therefore spending a lot of maintenance dollars uh, as well to to get the equipment running again so <clears throat> typically what you want to do is through the work management process you want to be able to capture how often is that happening how many urgent work orders what's the frequency of that happen what's the cost associated with that um and from that, you want to be able to generate some Pareto analysis. You got to, Just because you have the Pareto analysis, we want to make sure that we have leadership or some people who, stakeholders who are reviewing this with reliability engineers typically uh, to say, hey, what would we like to work on? What are the types of things we want to eliminate? Uh, and leadership will have their, their things that are heartburn for them. But if we show them the data and make a recommendation as a reliability engineer, then we can go about solving those to a formalized root cause. These reliability engineers, if they're focused on the elimination of failures, this is their job. So, again, as we talked about before, as they're focused on developing, uh, their whole job is the elimination of failure. Formalized root cause analysis. These are cross-functional teams that use things like ProLact or Apollo root cause or something to that effect that are formalized. That we go through, we have several uh, different root causes. Uh, we're working on these. We're prioritizing those. And you want your reliability engineers to be focused on that. Again, why do we do this? We do it for the cost. What is the impact to cash flow? What's the production that's lost? What's the maintenance dollars we're spending? Uh, what is the uh, overtime that we're having to work associated with this? And so we want to know that so that we can go about solving the root cause. And we can justify these reliability engineers staying focused on reliability uh, if they're not if we're if they're focused on failures and the elimination of failure. So we can go back to our three-pronged approach the next thing that it integrates with that as i said is we got to get into the work management so when we get into this typically the main thing people are talking about is we got a plan and schedule every every uh smrp was a couple of weeks ago there's probably more than one uh hope everybody understands the society of maintenance and reliability professionals conference was two weeks ago and there's there's um uh IMC, and there's all kinds of conferences. You t- there there's so many seminars and so many co- things you can go and they talk about planning and scheduling and planning and scheduling, and they're shouting it from the roof- rooftops. Well, that's that sounds good, and it, we do need to do planning and scheduling, but it's much more than just the planning and scheduling. I'm at a facility right now that hired a planner and they got rid of him because he didn't do what he was, they thought he was supposed to do. Well, it's because they didn't have a system for him to be successful. So what are the things that 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 are the key benefits of that planning and scheduling? Well, we're gonna increase the safety We're going to execute more work because we're going to utilize our resources better. Um, We're we're reducing maintenance costs over time because now we're seeing that that, that we can do things a lot more efficient. Uh, Production, if we're working on the right things, uh, we're only working on things when they're down or we let operations know that, hey, we're going to be down for a certain period of time. It's been planned and we actually get it done. Um, This whole thing promotes change and there's more and more communication. So these are the kind of things that happen through that. So why do we do that? This is a question. You know, is this ever happening? If someone goes out, identifies an issue, uh, they document it via work request, it's approved, the parts are ordered, parts are received, kitted, verified, but we didn't do anything about it. And, and two months later, the failure occurs. So, you know, where did the process break down? Why wasn't this executed? You know, this is one of the reasons that we want to plan and schedule. I think we may have seen this pl- plenty of times, but planning and scheduling is the safest and fastest and least expensive way to do work. Um, you can, you know, there's times where you're planning and you're not scheduling. That was one in the in the previous example. We planned that whole job, we didn't schedule it. So when we ended up the thing failed, who knows how it tore itself up, who knows how much production we lost, so on and so forth. So it's a little bit more expensive. But if you're continuously reacting, I'm coming to places I'm doing an assessment at right now, they keep telling me they don't have enough people, they don't have enough people. We are never gonna have enough people to live in the unplanned world because you don't know what's going to what's going to happen and you're calling contractors and you're bringing hot shotting in parts and vendors are bringing you things and so five to seven times is probably a low number depending on what business you're in Uh, it could be in the neighborhood of 10 times plus if you're in say for instance the mining world where uh, you know equipment and assets are very expensive and failures and reaction to things uh, are costing a lot of money. This is a, an example from uh, a site I was at. They had this posted all over the place, and they're talking about the same things. But I can tell you, this site didn't walk that talk. They had this in there, uh, but they didn't walk the they didn't walk the talk. Uh, they were not doing things like this. So it's a it's a culture change. It's a thing that your leadership has to be on board with. They have to understand the value in doing that. So taking us back to the three pronged approach here. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the work management and included in that is is planning and scheduling. This is a typical uh, model of work management that I use uh, when we're uh, communicating with assets and we will build a process inside of every single one of this. So if you count these up, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight processes. And in work execution, not only do you have proactive work execution, you have the reactive stuff. And how do we effectively manage that? And then the big thing along the bottom is, what's our prioritization okay so this this prioritization of the work is always running alongside of all this work management i don't know why my picture came up um so what are we trying to get out of that this is what i said before when we start doing some of this sometimes it's not things don't happen in some people's opinion as fast as they want them to happen so Leadership and operations need to understand the value. Uh, many times, you'll be in a place uh, in the control room, and the operator's running the place. He just likes the maintenance people to show up every day, and he tells them what to do. That's that's and and things might get done, and they, and his honeydews might get done that day. Uh, but the deal is, is that we got to understand the value because it's it's a it's a process and it's a culture change. At the same time. You know, maintenance, once we do this planning and scheduling, we can't do things and say, hey, every job takes two guys and every job's four hours or every job's eight hours. We actually got to be able to efficiently plan this work and execute it so that the meantime between failures is, is low and we're eliminating this work. We're, we're reducing the amount of downtime. So if I'm working on 24 hours and I need to take it down for for four hours, because I planned it and said four hours, we need to be efficient and we need to say, okay, it's not four and a half hours because we found all this extra work or we didn't plan it well. It's, we took it down for four, we say it's four, it could be 1.75, it could be 1.3, whatever we commit to as, as maintenance, we need to make sure that we're providing good quality work uh, to the organization. The goal of all this is we want, just like we want zero injuries and zero means zero in a facility. 0 means we don't we don't have first aids we don't have anything like that we, and that's the thing we're focused on so when you take into account the work management you're looking at 100% availability first thing people tell me nothing's going to be 100% available, available i understand but we got to have a goal of moving in that direction and that's what work management does for us because we're trying to move our focus just like we do zero injuries to 100% availability So therefore, you know, we got to build some processes. I showed you the previous, uh, there was, you know, work identification through work order completion and including some other processes internal to that. Um, Do we have a process to identify work? That is a well-defined process with roles, responsibilities, so on and so forth. Do we screen the work for appropriateness and make sure that we've designated who the screener is, who's the approver? And what's the impact to the business? Are we managing the black log? Are we telling our planners what we want them to work on and complete such that we can get that work scheduled? What exactly are we planning, okay? What's the process of planning? What do planners do? What's their roles and responsibilities? One of the biggest things that I teach people is planners are always about next week, next month, next year. We'll get into many situations where, oh, you know, they got to order parts when something fails. No, we need to put a process in place to do that. And this is where you get in, run to a big conflict. If they're not focused in on the future and they're constantly dealing with day-to-day firefighting issues, you're not going to get to where you want to get. The scheduling the work. Okay, so, so who's going to do it and when and for how long? All right, first thing is we got to schedule all of our PMs and all of our condition-based work first. And then everything that comes after that, all the correctives and so on and so forth. But we got to do that and do it with uh, operations. Then we got to execute. So we've agreed to something, we've agreed to this schedule and then maintenance has to execute that work. And sometimes there's things that, that break in. We understand there's going to be failures, but what's the process to make it most efficient? And is everybody aligned? on the the reasons and the criteria why we're moving and doing a break-in part of this is part of this whole philosophy is and you see it a lot of places is the first thing we want to break into is a pm well the pms are the things that keep us from they should be keeping us from failing if we've done a good job on developing our pms so we got to have a philosophy that says hey we don't break we'll break into anything else we'll work overtime we do what we have to do but we're not breaking into the pms because those things are are the things that keep us running and then we gotta capture the history because by capturing the history, we're gonna move into some continuous improvement that, that reliability engineers are working on. Maybe we're improving our asset strategy or we're, we're changing the way that we run or we're, we're adding or taking out parts um, uh, from, from the warehouse or we're reducing maintenance on something uh, to impact the cost. So we wanna make sure that we're capturing all the history inside of the CMMS and our ability to use that in the future all of these tools and all these things that are coming across as we have to build so you have your process maps and everywhere you go and every consultant like myself that's been in a place is creating process maps well the issue is i can go and i can be the fourth consultant to come in and he say hey do you use those process maps and the client has to go find and pull them out of a drawer so i was saying earlier these are how you do the work it's exactly how you do the work they're there for reference they're visual uh, we got to have our folks trained but we don't need people trained in every aspect of the cmms right individual roles have different training that they are they're required to do and so it's not general training and then of course we have the backup documentation and the roles and, and responsibilities as part of tools are like for each block in the work management process who's accountable for doing it what are, what are they're supposed to do and what exactly does that mean and so you know as you look at his examples these examples from different locations it's, hey, we know exactly what to do, and we can reference that work, okay? <clears throat> so what type of workflows do we do we build? We wanna build the planned workflow because our goal is, is to be as proactive as possible, and our work is planned. Again, we understand that there's unplanned, and many times you can get in a situation, you can what-if yourself to death in the unplanned side. So you wanna focus in on being proactive because like we said before, it's the least expensive and best way to run your equipment. And run your your facility, but we want to we want to have a way to be efficient on our unplanned. We want to capture that unplanned, and we want to eliminate that through defect elimination. <clears throat> Things that I do with planned work, and, and again, being very very staunch about this, this takes a leadership role. Uh, leadership buy-in is planned work is a job package is complete. Materials available on site and a day before the scheduling meeting. So, of course, you have to have a scheduling meeting, and you have to understand that the scheduling meeting is mandatory. And if it's not full, we don't come over and do shoulder taps and try to fill our schedule and say, hey, uh, hey buddy, could you put this in for me in the schedule next week? That happens quite frequently. Also, we don't want to say, hey, uh, we're saying materials kitted prior to the scheduled execution. What that means it's not going to hey we're going to schedule that job for next week because it's going to be delivered on tuesday And i think those of us that deal with supply chain no offense to our supply chain friends sometimes things happen and they don't come there and now operations is expecting something to happen that doesn't uh talked a little bit planned work isn't like what i just said you know material is going to be delivered when the works is scheduled and then something after the scheduling meeting you know many many times we struggle in the beginning to fully load our maintenance schedule because um you know um we just, we don't have, we either are not identifying enough work. In some cases, we have too many resources and we're not using them effectively. Uh, we don't wanna get in a situation where putting things in the schedule that aren't planned. Unplanned work, obviously, uh, things aren't in the weekly schedule. They gotta be done, but can't wait till the following week. And the urgent work stops production as determined by operations. This again gets you into the situation is who's the asset owner and who's determining what's gonna break into that agreed to schedule. Maintenance supervisor owns that. We get in the situation that, hey, planners know all the vendors. They know who to call, and they typically have come from a place where they know where to get parts. we got to put a system in place, and we got to put, if we're going to be true blue about what we're saying about work management, planners are about next week, next month, next year, because they have so much work to do um, to be proactive that having them involved in day-to-day will kill what they do. Break-in work is actually what it is. It means exactly break-in. I have a fully loaded schedule and I need to break into that schedule such that I need to redirect folks somewhere else or to do some other work. And again, that's, that's, that's uh, uh, led by um, operations. You're trying to get this partnership, like I said, between operations and maintenance. We're all shooting for the same goals. We don't make money off of maintenance. We make money off putting product out the door and doing it at the lowest cost and putting the most out that we can get there. So we need to be working together uh, on this kind of thing. One of the big things to be able to do that inside of all these processes is prioritization. Now, in this case, what I'm trying to do is use words only one time. You know, we're going to use priority five times. So in this case, prioritization for work management is what is the urgency that I want to do this? Do I want to do it today? Is there criteria behind it? do I want to do it in the next 7 days or I want to do it beyond 7 days. Many of these CMMSs are going to tell us in 14 days. So does that mean we hot shot something in here to make it 14 days? So I typically say anything that's about next week is going to be uh, you know, a priority uh, a, a routine priority work. So we we got to agree on what those things are. We take out the emotion. What are the business reasons for using those priority codes? So here's what I've been talking about. Um, you know, is it today? beyond within the next seven days, which both of those would be break-in type work or beyond seven days, which is gonna be planned work. How'd you create the prioritization? Did it come from your CMMS? Did they just give it to you? Or did you did you workshop that with your leadership such that everyone is is holding hands and say, a break into the schedule, a priority one meets this criteria, right? So then you don't have a shift supervisor or an ops supervisor, maintenance supervisor that's tired of something and and they're just breaking into an already agreed to schedule. And we gotta hold everybody accountable. This again, gets back to leadership. Leadership has to follow the process. Uh, you can't be just because you're the plant manager, you can break into the schedule because of your title. We gotta hold everybody accountable. We gotta take the emotion out and, and go forward. This is a type, it's very small, but this is an example of a, of a definition for priority codes. Just are typical priority codes you'll see here. Uh, that they say uh, you know urgent within uh, 24 hours Uh, this is the type of criteria and this is the action you'll see break-in do less than seven days uh, routine which is going to planning sometimes there's an outage shutdown work request and sometimes there's small project work and it just routes these things and gives it the priority or the urgency of what it needs to happen Uh, in work management developing these processes uh, you know we have work identification uh, this is how we're, gonna, we're saying, hey, we need some work. Maintenance needs to work on it. You know, is it a work request or a work order at that point? Well, if it's a work request, then someone's got to approve it. If it's a work order, well, then it's already approved. We understand that it. it met the criteria and who's who's working on that, and we were routing it directly to the maintenance department uh, to take care of today or within the next seven days. So, just in this case, it's it's a situation a work request means, hey, I need something fixed or I need, I need to do a corrective, right? It doesn't need to happen today, it, and it doesn't need to happen in the next seven days. A work order, it's already approved. It's urgent, it needs to happen right now. So we, we don't really wanna take something that needs to happen right now through a work request process. We define the criteria. Screening is you know, who's gonna be uh, uh, doing the work you know, or approving the work, right? So not everything gets approved in this case, but who's the designee that does that, who does that? Uh, for operations requests, right? For maintenance requests, who's doing that? We got to define what that is in our process. What happens when we do screening is that we we, we eliminate some duplication because there's someone who's focused in on that. Uh, does you know? Does it? Is it meet our business needs? And and is everything in there such that when it goes to planning, planning doesn't have to go back to the originator and find out. Well, what do you mean by this? So there's some well defined criteria, um, and send and then you know trying to find the duplication. Sometimes there's ways inside of different CMMS where it's simple to find those things uh, and you have certain fields that you just fill out. After that, it's backlog management. So now we've got all these approved work requests that are now work orders because they've been approved. And so what are we gonna do with those? The question is, what do you want the planner to work on first? Okay, you'll see in this case, I haven't used the word prioritized. We've already prioritized them through the urgency. They're either this shift in the next 24 hours you know, or they're going to planning, but in this case, we're saying, what are the one through, you name it, however many you have, that you want the planner to work on? So the planner, once he does this, he, ha- he it's, it's, it's taken care of in a, in a backlog management meeting. You have your stakeholders in here. Your planners are in there. Who's the people who are saying, hey, planners, this is what I want you to work on. After this meeting, the planners take off. This is it. This is about next week. So the planners are starting to work on that. What we don't want is somebody coming in the next day and saying, hey, change your priority. And then Thursday, changing your priority. Planners will never be able to work on anything. Everyone will be upset about the fact they don't have anything ready. So once we give these planners what they need to go charge down the road and work on, then we leave them alone until the next week. All right? Then we get into planning and scheduling. Um, so from a planning standpoint, let, let's let's talk about these for a little bit. Um, a lot of people, are are they get these two words, they start using them interchangeably. If we're going to be good at what we do we need to well we need to be defined about what we're saying planning is the what and the how okay some people say well i'm planning to do that next week uh no you're scheduling to do it next week okay we're planning is gathering up everything we need to do the work scheduling is about when we're going to do the work so if we're going to be true blue and this sounds kind of silly but but if you're going to be you know really really disciplined about how you do this work we need to use the right words Have you've noticed i said i use priority about the urgency it's the force ranking in the backlog management it's i'm getting everything together to do the work and then i'm going to schedule it it's when i'm going to do the work and the who's going to when that's going to happen okay so as i said planning is getting everything together what typically happens with this is planners are overworked because they have all these things they need to be doing they need to be getting work together meet to calling vendors they're having to do all these different proactive maintain building materials uh, ensure that kits are ready for for work execution so on and so on and so on so they get overworked or they're unqualified they've never been trained they just make someone a planner uh, that's that, that doesn't meet the criteria because hey we're supposed to put a planner in overlapping overlapping job responsibilities you got these planners that are doing things that are that they're, they're, they're managing contractors. I mean, I can give you a laundry list of things that, that kill this, this stuff. Uh, sometimes people aren't good planners. They just don't know how to do that. And then last but not least, you're not getting cooperation from anyone. They don't understand what planners do. And so it, these are the kind of things that kill uh, a planning. Uh, scheduling, um, you know, uh, it's the next step after that. Once we've planned our work, we need to schedule it. And that's basically saying, when are we going to do this and who's going to do it? So we want to minimize that impact. We want to get agreement from operations about when we're going to do this work. And, and, and so that's the next step in here. One piece that's a philosophy that sometimes is questionable because people want to say, well, what if, we know we're going to have these break-ins. So we're only going to schedule 80% of our people or 70 or, you know, what's the right number? 100% is the right number. And then if we have a break-in, we're going to, we're going to code that a priority one or a priority two, and we're going to measure those and we're going to, Use defect elimination to reduce the, to eliminate those uh, those failures, those types of things. So let's try to let's try to fill it up. Let's let's have proactive maintenance work. Okay, if you're using contractors, plan and schedule their work too. Why are they being used? If you're not fully loading your own people with the work, why are you using them? Are you, do you not have enough people? Do you have more work than you have people? And can you afford it, or is it special skills? But we need to plan and schedule those guys' work as well. Again, we're getting to a schedule that's agreed to by operations and maintenance. But we still got to get to a point to where we're sitting down again, and and we got to get to a point, like I said, when I first started this presentation, the wrench has got to get turned. We got to get this stuff to the craftspeople, the trades on the floor, the technicians, so that they can execute their work. Okay, so how do we do that? How how do we line guys out? One of the big things I ask uh, if someone's got a maintenance schedule to have something, how do you line your guys out? What does a supervisor have to tell his mechanics, electricians, millwrights, uh, instrument techs, how do we line these guys out on a daily basis? So we see many different schedules. Uh, Here's an example of one schedule from a location you can see here. Uh, I think there's a lot of focus uh, on on building a schedule. Uh, Here's another schedule um, that's used you know how, how effective is this? It's pretty busy. Uh, how, how easy it is is it to understand? Um, here's another example of a schedule. Um, you know people get pretty complicated with their schedules. Here's one uh, that's used. You may, you may recognize this. This is from Primavera P6. Uh, this is a you know this is typically used for big projects, things like that. People use that in the maintenance schedule because if you take a look at this down here, it's 20 page schedule. So how is a how is a main, first line maintenance supervisor going to line out his, his folks uh, with a 20 page schedule? All right. So one of the things that we've uh, I've come up with over the years and my personal experience of doing this uh, as a maintenance manager is a visual. You take a look. This is one example that's been put out there, and one of the things uh, it's it's hung on the wall. You can't read the detail because this thing's printed out in an e size drawing. You know, 34 by 44. It's hanging on the wall. You can see some highlights on it about things that have gotten done. And, and I'll get a little, I'll get to show you a couple others here. Uh, but one of the most significant things is when we talk about schedule loading, you look at this schedule, Monday's fully loaded. If each one of these columns is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you'll see that by the end of the week, every schedule I'm gonna show you from different places shows how we're loading the schedule. We have opportunity. So we have opportunity in loading the schedule. On a daily basis, we wanna look at this schedule, we wanna review it with operations. Uh, and we want to we want to say hey what's the status where am I on this particular maintenance schedule? Here's another example uh, using a lot, and it's you may say well that's pretty crude that's a bunch of paper and so on and so forth, but yeah you can walk up to this schedule and you can see exactly what's going on. Now this ensures that a, an executing maintenance supervisor has to make sure that these things are being updated, but this is this is how that works. This is. The, the electronic format of what it looks like so if you look at these each one of these vertical columns is a is a, is a day and, and I'll, I'll zoom into it so you can see exactly what it is I'll zoom into uh, this piece right here and so you'll see here that and and this can be modified okay um, and so, You'll see here what's the work order number, what's the description, how many people are doing it, what's the duration. If you look over here in the upper right-hand corner next to the date, it's like, what was the available hours that I had? And if you look down in the schedule, as you start to populate your day, you'll see that your available hours uh, are reduced so that you know whether you're over-scheduled or under-scheduled, you have opportunity. This is what's on every single one of those days in that posted schedule I was showing you. I did have uh, one location where somebody actually uh, made this electronic. Um, I guess they got tired of the, uh, you know, using the highlighters. And so I'll take an ugly one that works any day over, you know, something that's complicated, but they made this real user-friendly. So again, you can see Monday, Tuesday, but look at the schedule, how Monday's really full. And by the time we get to Friday, we don't have any work. So again, we're having a hard time populating our schedule or, or loading it full. Again, more examples of this thing. Again, this is the the typical example of a a visual daily management maintenance schedule um, um, that's used. Then we get to, I've said it a couple of times, how do we line out our guys? Well, in this particular situation, this is what's planned and scheduled for Monday. So you can see here that this is something that a, a, a maintenance supervisor would use to line out his guys on a daily basis. So what I wanted to do right now uh, is show you kind of how this works with a demo using some uh, eMaint uh, data, but any CMMS can do this. So let me see if I can get there. So here's the, here's the schedule I was talking about. You can see here that you know, here's Monday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, so on and so forth. On your side here, it's, it happens to be this particular site. They called it the business technicians and the facility technicians and the instrumentation uh, techs. So what we do here is, we need to get a. For, to begin with, we need to look at hey. What? How many hours out of an out of an eight-hour shift or a ten-hour shift? How many hours are we really productive? How many hours, if you take out lunches and breaks and guys getting to the job, are we going to actually be turning wrenches? And so you can run an export. And let me pull that up. You can run an export out of, out of um, E-Maint, as an example to do this and so you'll see here you got the work order and what's the craft uh, you know what's the description what they're doing number of hours uh so on and so forth but going back to the uh the the scheduling tool here we need to know how many man hours so how many how many uh business technicians do we have on monday tuesday wednesday thursday so on and so forth so just to save a little bit of time um, i've already got these uh um, i've already got these resources pulled up so i'm just going to copy paste these in here and what you'll see is that on Monday, I have eight, eight technicians, and I pretty much have eight all week. And so I have 10 and, and two guys. So pretty much everybody's at work, there's no vacations. And in this particular export here, uh, the export that came out is like, well, what is the scheduled start date uh, for that week? So if we come over here to our scheduled start date over here, we'll see that this is the week of, uh, looks to be like the week of 12.5. Okay. So we go back in here and we say okay this is the week of 12 5 and we're populated so when we come back over to our master schedule now we know that on monday based on that information we have 52 hours available we haven't scheduled anything yet so we still have that and then you can see here that the dates are in there 12 5 12 6 so on and so forth so now we're going to go back to our export here and say this is the work orders that we have ready to schedule for that week so we go in and all we simply do is copy that the the work order from that export here. So this is all the work orders that are ready to schedule uh, for the week of 12.5. And we come back in here, and then we just simply paste it in here to this tool. And what you'll find is that the master schedule. Oh, well, it didn't work that time. I must have must have improperly did that. Let me try that again.
0: I didn't grab everything right. All right. Yeah, I didn't get far enough over. Didn't get the work order.
1: You gotta make sure you copy this whole, make sure you get all the columns and all the data that you want (laughs) from that export. And then we're gonna come in here and paste it. And now we should have a schedule. So for your, di- for once you, so you're going to go, you're going to pr- print this out, post it on the wall. Uh, and what you're going to see there is, this is something that you can share. And you can see that in this particular day, still had 33 hours left over over our 52. At the same time, what this thing automatically has done now, it's created your line-out sheet. So here's one for Monday. And if we scroll over, you'll find, you know, what's the Tuesday schedule. So these are your line-out sheets. So this is the maintenance schedule that we had looked at back in our, uh, in the, in the uh, presentation. Let me go back to that. Okay, that we talked about here. Okay, so it was the visual here. That's what we got. Okay, there's probably some questions on that, but I'm I'm running out of time. So I got about 15 minutes, so I'm gonna keep going. Uh, so, and we can get those at the end. So once we got our schedule now uh we got to get into work execution a little bit and that's basically now it's gone to the to the maintenance supervisor and he needs to go execute his schedule so here's his line out sheets that he's using to to line out his guys and then if we have break-ins what are we going to do well we're going to use that priority matrix what's the urgency if something comes up does it meet the criteria are we going to do it and then we start talking about so if you look at this schedule now We're going to start if something broke in and we said, Hey, we're just going to move it to the next day. You can see here, there's a red mark. Some of them get moved all the way to Wednesday, but if they get down in this area and then Wednesday, Thursday, those are things that may need to get rescheduled. But we build a process for that that says, how do we manage break-ins once we've published our schedule? So one of the things we have to create that, that, you know, what are we completed and are we good for that day is we created something called daily schedule control. Uh, You can see here that we have, you know, people we have a maintenance supervisor standing in the front talking to the the uh, the ops folks and saying hey here's what we're going to do today or here's what we got done yesterday and we're touching base every morning at least uh, doing that uh, to ensure that we everybody knows where we are in the maintenance schedule all right so you do that let's say do it at the beginning of the shift uh, it's not for anything other than that so you got to be very very disciplined about this is about did we agree this is a schedule we agreed to last week Are we on schedule or off schedule this is not for failure analysis or problem solving it's because we got to go to work so it's like are we are are we on ahead or behind on our schedule we could walk out of the room and we could have a failure and we could have a break in but we have a process to support that so that's what we want to make sure there that's that that's that process build yourself a process that says this is what we do when we break in we're confirming it and then we're we're, and then we're going to go You know change it and 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 do it on overtime or we're going to do something that so make yourself sure that you build yourself a schedule for that so once we've gone through execution we want to make sure that we've completed all the work whether it was a break-in or whether it was planned scheduled work and we want to complete it because we want to capture that history for reliability engineering purposes or any continuous improvement and this is just an example of you know you may have your guys do it in the system you may have laptops you may have tablets but Basic foundation is these are the kind of things I want to make sure that I capture from my technicians. How did you find it? What would you do? How much time did it take to do it? And there's many, many ways that you can build in your process uh, to capture this information into your CMMS. Because at the end of the day, what we want to do is we want to get to the continuous improvement. And so now we're taking all that information and we're trying to do something with it. And one of the things that we need to do is, you know, how do we improve? Well, we got to report some things. We got to establish some targets. We got to communicate. We develop some KPIs. You know, are we doing our PMs? Or are we skipping them all? Are they value added? Um, things like that. Are are we are, are the frequencies accurate? These are the kind of things we get once we complete that work and we can start to look at it. Are we spending our money on urgent stuff? Or are we spending our money on proactive stuff? Where, where are we doing that? And so, if you start to develop what these kind of things are. That's what's gonna, how you're gonna get the improvement because what gets measured gets improved. Some of the ones that I recommend initially if you're starting out on this is, hey, did I load my schedule to 100%? Well, how did I do that? You saw a bunch of those, you could tell just by looking at some of those schedules, they probably weren't. But you know, you gotta understand if I only loaded it to 60% and only executed, which is the next one, I only executed 30%, then I'm 30% or 60% is only 18% of a total work schedule, all right? Uh, How many did we actually complete? And how much did we actually work on that we may have gotten broke into and had to go redirect ourselves? So that's why we're looking at the count, which is one thing. I completed this many, but I also worked on some but got redirected. So I need to look at how well was I trying to work on my proactive schedule. Uh, the pm completion as we were been talking about in the beginning pms are the most important thing we should be doing we should never break into those so how are we are we getting those done and are we getting them done within 10 percent of the frequency so if you have a 30-day pm you basically you schedule it for this for next wednesday you basically have tuesday wednesday and thursday of next week to get it done otherwise you know, if we just dump them all in the system and say, hey, we got 30 days to get them, sometimes they're done on the 29th day and then nobody's got anything to do, so they do them on the, on the third day of the next month. And so that just, and then we're going to wait 60 days until we do it again. So we want to be looking at, are we completing our PMs and are we completing them on time? And this is called the 10% rule. And that's one of the things I recommend. And then last but not least, which is, you know, the difference between my schedule uh, my schedule compliance is, How much break-in work am I working on? Again, this is gonna drive you and help you in the direction of trying to use your defect elimination. The thing about these things though is, and it happens quite often is, we put these things, uh, everyone's trying to make a B, meaning everyone's trying to make 85%. What we're trying to figure out is where are we and how do we improve? What'll, What'll happen is we'll get leadership or managers that'll put these kind of KPIs, and they put them in the wrong people's number one, They'll put them in some scheduler who has nothing to do with work execution. Um, but nonetheless, we put them in there. Uh, if we're gonna put them in anybody, we need to put them in operations. They're the asset owner. They're the ones who make the decisions for break-ins, but we need not put it in anybody's because what happens is people will make it. People will do what they have to do to meet their performance expectations to get their increase. So let's just look at it. Let's look at the KPIs. How are we doing if we're at 40% compliance? How do we get to 45 and what value is it for us? But make sure you have something to to measure yourself on. That's pretty much uh, the end of my presentation. I was trying to get done within the hour.
0: All right, thank you, Blake. I do have a few questions. Okay. Some of these came early in, so you may have answered them within the presentation, but I don't think so. Okay. Uh, the first one is kind of a generalized question, and the question is customer versus partner. It's yep. been as long as I can remember, the customer has always been right at our organization. And we're trying to move towards that partnership type relationship, but getting a lot of pushback from the team as far as, you know, kind of. We I've heard comments like if it's not broke why fix it. Mm-hmm. This is another this is another fad. Um, how do you get buy-in to treating your customers as a partner?
1: So one of the things that that we've done is we developed a a written partnership agreement that has the details of what each other, what we're going to hold each other accountable for. a lot of cases especially in the lean world we'll say that uh, sometimes the the uh, operations is the customer of maintenance and sometimes maintenance is the customer of operations so if we can take those things put them down on paper have workshop it to a point that where we can all sign off on it and literally sign off on a partnership agreement then we can start to hold each other accountable but part of that is is understanding the concepts associated with asset management and understanding you know, in relating it to uh, things outside the plant, and and uh, create in and and just education and reinforcement
0: of that. All right, thank you. And the other one is scheduling. Do you suggest schedule blocking? And what I mean is, do you plan for the unplanned? And do you schedule PM daily time? So if there's an overall schedule for the team. Do you block time for those unplanned items that seem to always come in as an emergency? And do you block time in your regular schedule for during the day for PMs? So
1: we would uh, would not block time
0: for for uh, downtime,
1: or, or not downtime for failures, because failures, I mean, if you know they're gonna happen at the same time every day, my issue would be why are you, you should be solving that root cause what are the reasons for those those failures right for the unplanned time and that would be part of the defect elimination what's the failure so if you're capturing that information i would say why are we having that if it's a if it's an asset strategy that says we've gone through the analysis we have no way to eliminate or substantially postpone that failure then we got to put a strategy in place that says we have we understand that that's one of our strategies and we can redirect people. We have them on maintenance work that may be interruptible because those kind of failures are going to be typically random, right? If we knew what the uh, failed every Thursday, then we'd just fix it every Wednesday. If we know that, well, that's a PM. If we don't know if it's going to be Thursday or Wednesday or at night or whenever, then we just got to have a good process in place or a good strategy in place to address those. Um, because it's, that's one of the run to failure scenarios. Um, So the blocks would be uh, an example of a block to me would be the equipment's not running. So what do I need to be doing? Well, I need to be scheduling all of the um, preventive type things during that time frame, the equipment's down. My expectation is the whole time it's, it's running, it runs. So does that answer
0: the question? And then while we were talking, three more questions came in. We'll see if we can get through these. Okay. The first one is, what does a great work package look like?
1: Oh, okay. Great work package has um, a uh, a task list. Uh, so meaning I'm going to direct a, I need to have good craftsmen or technicians, but I need to be, have a step-by-step on how I'm going to Uh, do whatever the task is on this particular work Uh, that's one thing it has all of the special tools that are required is it uh, and the special equipment that's required uh, any drawings or cut sheets or anything uh, that's associated with getting that work done so and then it also has the uh, the the materials required uh, for the particular job and and hopefully we have a kidding process so that all we got to do is pick that kid up and and go to work. But it has everything you need to execute that job uh, effectively. And
0: all right. Our next one: Do predictive maintenances? All right. Do predictive maintenance must be put in maintenance schedule, or their activities are dependent on their baseline and equipment conditions they are getting.
1: Um, if, if, if the, the people who, again, if you're going to manage the, I'm assuming that you're saying people that are going to go out and perform the predictive maintenance, does it need to be in the schedule? Yes.
0: Uh, I'm trying, can you tell me that question again? Yeah. Do, do predictive maintenances must be put in maintenance schedule or their activities are dependent on their baseline and equipment conditions they are getting?
1: Okay. So, yeah, I would say that you, that you're you're typically going to have routes that you're going to go through for predictive maintenance whether it's vibration or you're you're pulling oil samples or you're doing and you're what you're going to see is is that when i have those and i see what the condition is um, it meets the same criteria so if i have something that's in the schedule and i'm doing predictive maintenance and i'm going through and i'm seeing something what i'm seeing from a corrective standpoint based on the condition does it meet the criteria of any of the priorities is it something that needs to be done right now? Is it something uh, I can push a little few days? Is it in alarm? Or is it something that can go to planning? So the correctives that happen as a result of the condition follow the same
0: uh, process. All right, thank you. And our last question, can you have success without using a scheduler calendar?
1: Um, I have not found that you, that you can do that. Um, and you're talking about like the one I showed, I'm assuming. Um, because nobody knows when anybody's going to do anything. Now, if you have just abundance of time, uh, maybe not, but typically when it's time to run production, we're running production. And so we got to give people, uh, I'm going to do it at this day, at this time, and I'm only going to have you down for an hour. And there has to be some agreement that says an hour is an hour. It's not an hour and and two hours because I didn't get the equipment ready. That's why there's a lot on this partnership on ensuring, hey, this is what I have for you and this is what you have for me and we're gonna hold each other accountable to do that. So I haven't seen success uh, if you have an abundance of people or you have, and typically people don't, but I've never seen success without a scheduled calendar.
0: All right, well, Blake, thank you again for another great presentation. We really appreciate you taking time to speak with us.